Uh, that Dungeons and Dragons movie is going to come out at some point eventually, maybe. They keep threatening that one's going to come out. How They've got actors attached. Well, they did back in the 90s. It was bad. But, like, there's a, there's a new one with, like, famous people attached. Maybe Chris Pine. So, whatever. <laughs> You're um, full of crap. No, no, it, no, this is a real thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm cutting all. I'm cutting all. I'm cutting all this out. But 2023 movie. It's supposed to come out in 2023. Chris Pine, Michelle Rodriguez, uh, Roger Jean Page, Hugh Grant, other That's people. Wild. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast connecting academic ideas to popular media. I am one of your co-hosts for this week, uh, Sir Peter Romberg of Milwaukee. Uh, and joining me, as always, is my co-host. Uh, Martha Sullivan, I'm not doing that, but also I enjoyed how you uh, implied that you are not always my co-host. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's a fair point. Uh, and this week uh, is the concluding episode of our three-part series on Arthur lore. Uh, we developed the series specifically to talk to the, about the Green Knight, and lo, the Green Knight is out in theaters and maybe streaming, I'm not actually sure. Uh, definitely out in theaters in the United States, and we are going to be talking about it much later in the episode. Before it's that, not a, It's not streaming, it's only in it's theaters. It's not streaming? Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, before we get into that and our other homeworks for this week, it's only fair to share with you, our listeners, what we have stuck in our heads. Basically, whatever piece of pop culture, loosely described, uh, that we want to talk about. Uh, so, Martha, what is stuck in your head this week? And uh, do I have the bet with myself correct? Um, I, shoot, I should have written it down. I thought you were going to say Pokemon Unite. Oh, I haven't played. Oh, then I, I have lost the bet I've made with myself. I don't care about MOBAs. Hmm. I only um, recently learned the acronym MOBA, so. <laughs> like, I, I, I knew MOBA games, but I had never heard that phrase to describe them. Sure. Um, Pokemon Snap did just have a recent huge-ass update, mm -hmm. which I find very exciting. Mm -hmm. um, no, but actually what has stuck in my head uh, this week is I'm watching Hacks on HBO, and it is freaking delightful. Um, I have not been watching a whole lot of tv recently and now suddenly i'm watching a lot of it and it's all really good <laughs> uh Gene smart is incredible which we all knew because we all saw legion uh-huh and just gonna throw that one out there and then we um, saw um watchmen uh and then we saw and then you just finished mayor of east town yeah so gene smart is great uh she is great in this show it is about a um lady stand-up comedian in Vegas who gets, uh, who is kind of, um, the intimation is that people think that maybe she should move on because she's mm. been doing this for a very long time. Um, in the sense of she's not good anymore or in the sense of like, Gene, come on, you've been doing it for so long. You can, you can move up in the world or retire, but like you're, you're treading water uh, here. In the sense, yeah, in the sense of like, she still sells shows consistently, um, but also her, it's the same stuff. Like, mm -hmm. she's been doing this for 30 years. Uh, and um, her agent pairs her with a millennial writer who I am not on IMDb right now, so I can't look up the actress's name, and I, I'm very sorry about that, um, but who had a Twitter joke go bad and now can't get a job so her agent who is also gene smart's agent says why don't the two of you work together and you can help her write some fresh material and she can help pay your bills until this whole twitter thing blows over um and yes it's very smart it's very funny uh nice uh that, that actress is hannah einbinder uh yeah, plays she's ava great. daniels mm-hmm Cool. What's stuck in your head? Uh, what's stuck in my head is something that blew your mind all weekend long, which is that uh, for the very first time ever, I went to a Renaissance fair this weekend. Um, 
uh, at the the southern border of Wisconsin, literally a stone's throw from Illinois, is uh, the town of Bristol, and there's the uh, that is the location of the Bristol Renaissance Fair, uh, a place that has existed for literally decades, and which I still don't understand how I have never made it to. But I never did. I went this weekend. It was a grand old time. Um, we ran into a bunch of friends. Uh, intent, like we knew we would be running into these friends. Um, it happened to be Pirate Weekend, so we saw not only people in Renaissance, you know, medieval costume, but also pirate costume. It was approximately 92 degrees and 104,000% humidity. Um, <laughs> so the poor dudes walking around in the Templar uh, costumes or the, you know, everyone wearing heavy night clothing, I felt very bad for. Uh, the, the couple guys running around in, like, barbarian loincloths and nothing else definitely picked the correct, correct costume choice for the weekend. Um... Uh, but beyond, beyond the oppressive heat and humidity, it was a truly fantastic time, and I'm looking forward to going back next year, uh, probably with a costume. Yeah, I think it's... So Pete and I were both huge nerds in high school. I, I'm glad, and... listeners, you're sitting down for this information. <laughs> uh, so this was truly a revelation to me. I have been going to the Bristol Renaissance Fair and also the one in Minneapolis like every summer since I was a small child. And it is kind of insane to me that you have never been to one before. <laughs> one one thing that, uh, so so my, my wife, Warren, had also never been to a Renaissance Fair and it is in both of our wheelhouses. Um, one thing we commented on and appreciated was the fact that it is a absolute multi-generational thing. Um, at the fair, I saw, you know, a 65-year-old pirate wench and also a six-year-old in a beautiful princess, like, monarch princess costume. Uh, butterfly monarch princess costume. Uh, and, like, and everyone in between. Um, and it's it's kind of delightful that we have all of that. Also fun was seeing the the middle school age kids and and being delighted that, like, Thank God for them that they're growing up now and not, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, so that, that is this flavor of nerdery, I'm sure, is slightly more not in vogue, but uh, less derided than maybe it used to be. That's my hope. I actually have no idea whether it is or isn't for kids these days. <laughs> but yes, I, I'm glad that you have finally been able to avail yourself to the charms of the Ren Fair. Yes, yes. All right. Uh, well, and that was a perfectly on-brand stuck in my head because we we're going to be wrapping up our discussion about King Arthur stuff. So I, I got deeply immersed in a bunch of, uh, you know, knightly medieval, you know, Renaissance stuff, uh, all thoroughly anachronistic, which is perfect because the movies that we're talking about are... Uh, have they, they've dipped a tiny little toe in the waters of history and then went screaming and running in the opposite direction. Um, so we're going to be talking about Excalibur, Merlin, and the Green Knight when we come back from a short break. So stick around. We are back. So, this episode in our Arthur triptych is Arthur as legend, or Arthur as myth. And we've got two movies that specifically target, like, the broad strokes of Le Morte Arthur, uh, or the once and future king, uh, sort of from all the way from the sword and the stone to the final battle. Um, and then we have the Green Knight, because that's really what we want to be talking about. And it's a different Arthur myth. It's canonical, all the rest. It's not part of the main arc. So we'll be talking about all three of those. Uh, to begin, we're going to be talking about the 1981 epic fantasy film Excalibur, uh, directed, produced, and co-written by John Borman, and starring Nigel Terry as Arthur, Nicole Williamson as Merlin, Nicholas Clay as Lancelot, uh, Helen Mirren as Morgana, Liam Neeson in one of his fil first film roles as Gawain. Uh, I'm sure we're going to argue about how to pronounce that name, by the way. 
Uh, <laughs> Gabriel We're not Byrne. Because there is one way. Uh, no, no, way. no, 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 no. We'll talk about that. Um, uh, Gabriel Byrne, also one of his first film roles as Uther. Um, and Patrick Stewart, one of his first film roles as Leondegrantz, um, along with some others. Uh, also, Kieran Hines makes an appearance. I was going to say, you leaving well, he, out. He he wasn't on the initial wiki uh, list of, of folks. Um, huh. Also, I couldn't identify Kieran Hines. I knew he was in it, but I, I didn't see him. I um, found all of them except for Helen Mirren to be utterly unrecognizable. Patrick Seward, I could identify. Gabriel Byrne, not in a million years could I have I, identify him. Liam Neeson, I got because of his nose, you know. Uh, all right. Well, so uh, Excalibur is your is the Arthur story. We start with Uther uh, seducing um, Elaine, Egwene. I always got the Egwene. Uh, okay. Uh, Egwene. Yeah. Uther uh, seduces Egwene, gets uh, Merlin to disguise himself as, or to disguise him as Egwene's husband. Um, sleeps with her. She gives birth to Arthur, uh, who then becomes Wart. Pulls a sword from a stone, becomes king. Uh, Things happen. He sleeps with his half-sister Morgana. Uh, she gives birth to Mordred. Uh, other things happen. Mordred, uh, uh, you know, leads a, a army in revolt against Arthur. There's a big final battle. Uh, they kill each other, and, uh, and and there we go. It's it is it is the canonical Arthur story. Lancelot I mean, shows up. Uh, I was gonna say. In there, we also have the quest for the Holy Grail. Mm-hmm. We have Lancelot and Guinevere betraying Arthur with each other. We have a lot of nonsense around Merlin. Uh, we have Excalibur, you know, and and all the all the things around that. Um, I I don't think either of us had ever seen this movie before. Martha, what were your thoughts on it? I loved this movie. Ah, I was I was literally unsure whether you would love it or be really hesitant um, on it so first of all it is too long mm -hmm. <laughs> let us just oh like yes yes let us set that aside um but it had two so it is it contains several things that i love love dearly first of all um i think that arthur as himbo arthur is the best <laughs> arthur portrayal mm-hmm um, somebody who just by his existence, and this came up a little bit when we talked about the King in winter, the winter King, the winter King, the winter King, how I really love an Arthur who is just a good person mm -hmm. and kind of big and dumb. And like people follow him because they love him, not because he's a particularly effective, like leader or strategist or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, giant muscle shirtless 80s fantasy hero perfect loved it <laughs> also deeply love the version of merlin who is out of f's to give i like, loved this merlin <laughs> i loved his costume marin hated his silly helmet i loved oh no, his silly great. helmet no no this Merlin does not care what you need. He is going to show up when he feels like it. Mm -hmm. He's going to give you what he thinks is appropriate. And then he's going to peace out. He's got his own agenda. He doesn't care what your agenda is. He's Merlin. Um, I definitely, I don't know if you read it this way, but like there's a, a bit where Morgana traps him for a while. And I definitely got the feeling, or at least he gave the presentation of like a cat that falls off of a window ledge and then is like, I meant to do that. <laughs> right. Yeah. I wasn't trapped. I was just resting. <laughs> but Excalibur definitely fits into a canon of 80s fantasy movies, which are both horrible, but also I love them. Yes. Um, I definitely had to look up and see where this movie existed in comparison to Conan the Barbarian, because... They are, they share some DNA, and they came out very close to each other. Yes, this one predates um, it, but only by six months. Eh, almost a year, still. But, like, and the visuals in this are also very similar to the movie Legend. Like, hmm. this is this is an entry into a canon of over-the-top, wackadoodle fantasy movies that are way more interested in the capital a aesthetic than they yes. are in like making any kind of sense the armor in this movie is beautiful every single suit of armor is unique 
tells a story. Many of them are covered in spikes, because why not? Mordred's golden armor with, like, curly hair on it, like, oh is just yeah, amazing. Mordred? Yeah, yeah prepubescent Mordred's armor. Or no, but no, also... no, it's, it's adult Mordred. It just looks, his armor makes him look like a child. Like like the final the There's... final Mordred like the final fight. Okay, I was yeah. gonna say because the first time we meet Mordred, he's a child, right? Uh, and he's wearing that like golden faced curly armor. He wears that same armor at the end too when he's an adult. But I think the helmet has changed. Uh, probably, but it's still got the curly hair and stuff. Yeah, um, but also every single costume in this movie is from a different time period. Oh yeah, yeah, like. <laughs> As I said before the break, these movies l dipped their toes in the water of history and went screaming running in the opposite direction because uh, this ain't historical fiction. This is high fantasy. Emphasis also, on both those words. I also enjoyed that I think this movie assumes familiarity with the Arthur story. I was going like, to bring that up as I couldn't tell if it was a... Cur I Sorry, continue. It is both a bug and a feature because I definitely think that they decide what they have to explain. Like the stuff that they explain or like take the time to cover is, I don't know. It, it felt like there are, there are holes in this movie that are filled by the filmmakers assuming that, you know, certain things about the Arthur legends. I had the exact same thought. And I had the same thought about Merlin as well. We spend a good chunk of this movie in the introduction with uh, Merlin and Uther and like the birth of Arthur, the, the rape of Egwene, uh, Egwene, Egwene, Egwene. I'm sorry, I just can never get her name. Um, uh, like we spend a lot of time there, probably because it's one of those things that isn't like assumed as common knowledge. But when Lancelot shows up, it's like, Yo, I'm a knight with sort of like fishy armor because I'm like Lancelot of the Lake. I'm doing a black knight routine from, uh, you know, I'm guarding a pass. And then there we go. I'm Lancelot. It's cool. Yeah, I'm going to have a, a 10 second affair with, with Guinevere. It's cool. We all know this. Yada, yada, yada. Um, ditto with the Grail quest. It's like there's talk of a Grail quest and then that goes away. And then later we're in a castle and there's a Grail. And it's like, ah, oh, the Grail. Um... I think... And also, just the whole detour with Percival finding the Grail was just like, and here's a knight that's not even Arthur. Right, right. Um, uh, I, I thought with both this and Merlin, uh, which we'll get into, I think it's because you're trying to tell a story that's just way too big. And the only way to tell it coherently is to just assume that the audience... And, like, not wrongly assume, but, like, assume that the audience knows who these characters are. So when the characters have literally zero motivation, zero character development, like, th this book and, and Merlin would both absolutely fail, like, modern screenwriting classes on, like, how to structure a film, how to make a compelling character, how to write a character at all. But that's fine, because it's, like, like Lancelot has no character development. Well, yeah, he does. He's the greatest knight who ever lived. He's he's Lancelot. I, Shut up. We all know his character development. We will we will talk about how you're wrong about Merlin when we actually get to Merlin. Okay. Um, but no, this movie absolutely does not have characters. Like, right? Ever. It it, ha it has and it it barely has a plot. Like it has, it has sequences that work together, but as mm -hmm. an overarching story. It only works because it's the Arthur story and we know those beats. And so we go from beat to beat. Right. It is very much the obligatory. Okay. This is the stuff we have to cover. Yeah. Um, and we are doing so in service of a very metal <laughs> fantasy aesthetic. God, I loved all the green light to show like magic -y stuff, like just gleaming, gleaming polished armor with obviously just like a green light shining on it from like off camera. Looks oh, yeah. silly, but also so good. At the end of the movie, there's like a red circle in the sky that I think is supposed to be the sun setting. Mm hmm. Um, and the fun fact on the Amazon rental that I was watching was that to make that, they um, reflected, like, a beam of light off of a metal disc. And that was their son. <laughs> and I was like, of course they did. <laughs> like, yeah, come on. It looks good. Well, it looks good in the context of the movie. 
Yes, like 80s, 80s fantasy rules were if it would look good, spray paint it on the side of a van. It'll be cool in this movie. Right. And that is definitely the guiding philosophy of this. Yeah, yeah. But also had some very compelling performances, I thought. I thought Helen Mirren as Morgana was great. Yes. I mean, like, you cast Helen Mirren in anything. I'm like, she's going to be amazing. Um, and also, I, I don't know that I can emphasize enough how much i loved the dude playing merlin <laughs> yeah N- nicole williamson who is apparently mostly a, a stage actor um o- although described as the greatest actor since marlon brando uh, and by samuel beckett as touched by genius uh the okay. hamlet of his generation so like this was a guy who was real real hot on stage uh in england um and in films i guess he has a pretty deep filmography uh but yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, is that a good time to segue into your homework? It is because I actually want to talk about both of them together. Yes. I think they are definitely of a piece. I also watched them both within like four days of each other. So, Oh, I watched them. I watched, um, Merlin on Friday. I started Excalibur on Friday. I finished Excalibur on Saturday. Merlin is so long. How did you watch anything after it? (laughs) <laughs> we'll get into well, it let's it's go like two and a half it's, i know it's i know it's the same length. Like, it just Excalibur. it just felt so much longer <laughs> okay so i assigned the nbc miniseries merlin which originally aired in 1998 it stars sam neill as merlin helena bonham carter as morgan lefay uh rutger hauer as king vertigan Uh, James Earl Jones as the Mountain King, Miranda Richardson as the Lady of the Lake and uh, Queen Mab, Isabella Rossellini as Nimue, Martin Short as Frick, Paul Curran as Arthur, Lena Headey as Guinevere, uh, Jeremy Sheffield as Lancelot, uh, and then a bunch of other people. Um, I was worried I wouldn't recognize a young Lena Headey and then she did the eyebrow thing that she does and I'm like, ah, Lena Headey. Oh, yeah. Um, so a couple of things about this movie. First of all, I was obsessed with it when it fir- like I watched this when it first aired. Mm-hmm. Um, Same. I have I have been in love with Sam Neill for 25 years. Is that when Jurassic Park came out? I don't know. It's just <laughs> been a constant of my life. I actually I'm not sure if I saw this or Jurassic Park first. It might oh. have been this. Um. But no, I love him. That love only grows as he becomes more and more himself, which is the bearded and t- bearded hostile farm hermit who names his <laughs> who names his farm animals after celebrities. Uh huh. And also has like a, a wine, uh, like a vineyard that makes his own wine that I would love to try someday. Oh yeah, no, he's delightful. Um. But yeah, this was when NBC was turning literally everything into miniseries. Um, they did an Alice in Wonderland one. They they were making all of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is the Arthur story, but mainly from the POV of Merlin. So it starts with Merlin as a child um, who Queen Mab creates in order to bring the people of Britain back to the quote unquote old ways, which is, I think the TV safe way of saying paganism. Mm -hmm. Um, and due to circumstances, uh, through the fact that Mab is an eldritch being and not really great at being a person, uh, what actually ends up happening is that, um, Merlin swears enmity with Mab and allies himself with uh, the kingdoms of men, as it were, and trains ends up training Merlin or um, Arthur as kind of the flip side to eventually um, Mordred, who is born as like a second chance for Mab. So this movie is very much about the kind of magical machinations happening behind the scenes of the Arthur story um, and the powers that are driving these legendary events. Mm -hmm. Um, It is also it also directly quotes Excalibur in ways that I had not realized because I'd never seen Excalibur before, Um, but watching it so close to when watching the two of them so close together, it's like, oh, 
the people making this movie definitely watched Excalibur <laughs> yes. and like <laughs> are are aesthetically quoting it very directly in several different places. Yes. But yeah, was this your first time watching this? No, I had also watched this. I don't know if I watched it when it first aired in 1998 or like on some sort of rerun, but I absolutely watched this when I was young and I had yeah, forgotten. I, I, I taped it on VHS. Sure. So I, that I could watch it. I had forgotten almost all of this except for it existed. And then as soon as it began and Miranda Richardson was doing her weird voice thing and like we were doing like the weird funny like the crazy her editing mob voice right yes. and, and like we're doing like the crazy editing um and all the stuff and, and the costumes I was instantly like oh my god I remember all of this um mm -hmm. I don't think it's good but I think it's fascinating <laughs> and, like I mean like I'm gonna say like it's not good but it's really fascinating uh you you it's the same length of Excalibur, but for whatever reason, maybe just because of like TV it's pacing. A longer. I just checked the okay. Well, it, time and it felt a, a lot longer, and that might have been because it was designed as a three part miniseries. So like you were supposed to watch it over three nights, and watching it over three nights, I think might have sat better for me. Just because by the end, I'm just like, oh my god, this needs to end. <laughs> it's it's too much. <laughs> uh, it's also just absolutely peak late '90s TV tropes in okay. a lot of different ways um the effects are exactly what you'd expect from 1998 nbc money uh so like we're talking buffy level effects here uh which sometimes is fine and sometimes if, they fight a I was dragon say, if, if that <laughs> yeah i yeah i think i think it's actually sub buffy and they were contemporaneous um but like you know sometimes the effects look fine and sometimes you're fighting a dragon or whatever it's supposed to be uh and it looks dodgy dragon, a dragon made out of umbrellas right right <laughs> it's like listen we spent all our money on martin short um who himself is a late 90s tv show pick uh i i had the same thought and, and you're going to disagree with me on this one that it does a lot uh um i think it relies less than excalibur but still pretty strongly on shorthand and expectations that you're familiar with the myth um so like lancelot and and guinevere i think get a lot of short shrift on this one um because if you're going to do lancelot and guinevere you either need your entire movie to be about the love triangle there a la camelot or you need to or or you're going to yada yada it um which this one does uh hilariously I... yeah I, I know yeah. i i know you disagree on that one um excalibur definitely does uh, I also laughed a lot when they literally yada yada the quest for the Holy Grail, um, where like Arthur rode off and then later he rode back and they weren't successful. That's it. That's what it was. This is the thing about this show is that it's not about Arthur. Right. It's about Merlin. Like, I think they get away with a lot of that because ultimately the only things that really matter about the Guinevere Lancelot betrayal is Merlin's position in it. Right. And we get a very dramatic scene with him. So the Lady of the Lake is the one that directed him towards um, Joyous Guard, which is where she says he'll find a, a knight pure of heart to watch the throne while Arthur's gone. And we get a very heartfelt scene between the two of them when he's like, you lied to me. And she said, no, you just picked the wrong guy. Which, come on, Galahad was not a knight. She was dodgy as AF on that one. I, I knew I knew that was exactly the rug she was going to pull out from under him. But like, well, come on, Lady of the Lake, do better. Except that at the end <laughs> of the day, this movie, like literally every single Arthur story at the end of the day is about the tension between destiny and choice. Mm -hmm. And Arthur made or Merlin made the wrong choice. And that's that's kind of the 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 tension in this as it is in every Arthur story is like there's everyone has a destiny like the the sword is going to stay in the stone until the good like a good man comes to claim it and it's Arthur's destiny to pull the sword out of the stone but it's always Arthur's choice to and then it's like Arthur's destiny to go find the holy grail Guinevere's choice to to betray him with Lancelot. Like it's, it's always this push and pull between 
destiny and free will and where we all get in trouble for exercising our free will. <laughs> um, so, like, I understand what you're saying, but also the point of the story is that Merlin makes the wrong choice. Right, right. And, and also my, my critique there was not a, a critique of the story. It was me just reacting in real time to, like, you know. Uh, it, it was a critique of the Lady in the Lake's wording of things, not oh, a, yeah. no, not she, a writer she critique. She messed that one up real bad. Yeah. Um, um, I, but also, this is related to the point that I wanted to bring up um, that we kind of floated in Excalibur, and that's that no one in this movie is a character except for Merlin, mm -hmm. because he is who this is about. It like, also he gets does to have help. character... What? It does help that he's being played by Sam Neill. Right, who I'm obsessed with. Right, and, and also is, like, um, is deeply emotive, all the rest of it. Well, and I... I think that there are a lot of places in this miniseries where the filmmakers allowed the actors, like they, they allowed the character development to fall on the actors playing them. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of Nimue's character development comes from the fact that she's played by Isabella Rossellini. Yes. Who is fabulous. Yes. Yes. I, um, uh, same with HBC. She sort of has one, one character development moment, maybe two, and the rest of it is just being carried on the fact that it's Helena Bonham Carter. And she, I actually, I, I think is a weaker point in this than uh, Rossellini, who uh, yeah, absolutely. has a, like, frailty... Like, she, she plays Nimue with this balance between, like, being very kind of delicate and wounded... But also, at the end of the day, is willing to make this huge sacrifice mm -hmm. um, for the person that she loves that, as far as she is concerned, means she's going to be alone the rest of her life. Yeah, yeah. Um, somewhat related, because Arthur, in this, is... It, it, he was an absolute blank slate cipher to me, where I'm like, you're, yes. you're literally nothing. Um, yes. And it reminded me a lot of the discussion we had with the historical Arthur, where, um, especially with The Winter King, it's like, this is a movie where Arthur, like, obviously the POV character isn't Arthur, like he is in Excalibur. But both the fact that he's not a POV character and the fact that he's, like, a nobody, like, he's, he's a nothing actor, it's, it's an Arthur movie without like almost without an Arthur, like there's a guy who walks around with like a sword and a crown, but well, he, he, that, he he's I, passive. It's a passive, it's a passive role, not an active role. Because he only matters as Merlin's tool to fight against Mab. Right. I, I think there's that for sure. I also think, and I, I was mulling over this ha like having watched Excalibur and Merlin in pretty close succession He's also pretty underdeveloped in Excalibur, even though he's the ostensible main character. And I think that when you're doing, like, the entire from Sword in the Stone to the Battle of Camlin sort of arc, and, and actually pre-Sword in the Stone, um, like, when you're doing the entire Life of Arthur arc, you miss a lot of the nuances that show up in things like The Once and Future King, which is which is what um, the, the Disney Sword in the Stone focused on, which is sort of like... Arthur's education and Arthur becoming a good and wise king and the psychological like difficulties that he goes through this sort of like pokes at that when it comes to Guinevere's betrayal and his conflict between like I am trying to create a government of laws and not of men uh, to steal a phrase from uh, our own founding fathers uh, and so therefore even though I am the king I must be bound by by the laws anyway um and, and, like, that was an interesting tension, except for he was such a non-entity that, like, the argument was just kind of frustrating. Also, he was just absolutely politically trounced up and down by Mordred, who at any moment he should have been like, get out, you're banished, we're done with this conversation. Also, uh, you are not my son. Like, you might be legally my son, but you're a bastard, you have no inheritance rights, goodbye. Um, <laughs> I, I... See, More, he yeah. can't make the bastard argument without invalidating his own claim because Uther was super not married to a grain when she had Arthur. But Uther acknowledged Arthur as his son? I actually don't remember if that's true or not. I feel like a public renunciation denunciation of, like, 
You're my bastard, but you is, are not uh, inheriting this throne. The point is that Mordred rolls in and runs like, circles around ups. everyone. Yeah. Um, got, got real Loki vibes from him. I wonder if part of what they're saying is that by by teaching Arthur how to be like good and ethical, um, Merlin did not teach him how to be a good politician. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, because Mordred is the flip side of this, who was raised by Mab and Morgan Le Fay, and like these and these frick. powers. And Frick, um, <laughs> one of the arguably the best characters in this movie. <laughs> um, but that he, because he is raised on more of like deception and um, like self-interest, there are things that he is better equipped to do. And Arthur is like too noble to see the point at which he needs to cut Guinevere loose in order to maintain his order at his court. Like that is, that is not a decision he is equipped to make by virtue of his teaching. Right. Right. I, I do think they, they took it a little too far in this adaptation. I liked Mordred in um, uh, Excalibur. This one, I'm just like, you're literally a one note villain, which again, night, like late nineties TV show tropes were hitting them like dead on. Uh, kind of loved, loved that both of these adaptations were just like, yep, totally a sister. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not surprising in Excalibur, kind of surprising in Merlin. Yeah. Um. So one of the kind of bigger picture things I want to talk about is how... So we have talked about these movies portraying a number of different things. And one of the reasons I feel like the Arthurian legends are so enduring is because you can really read into them almost anything you want. Mm-hmm. Like the stories themselves are, are like morality tales that are about like honor and chivalry and all of that. But they also have a bunch of weird stuff going on that you can extrapolate into like larger stories that, you can use as a tool to, you know, tell really any kind of story that you want to. Um, Cause I, I think that in Merlin, Merlin ultimately is about choice versus destiny and wielding that choice responsibly. Um, Excalibur is about how magic looks really cool spray painted on the side of a fan, (laughs) but also a little bit about like personal responsibility. Cause at the end of the day, Arthur has to put the needs of his country over his own. Like he, his whole deal is like, he is, he and the land are one and his choices when they're bad choices actually damage the land in addition to damaging him. Yeah. I, I love the conceit that, like, the king and the land are one. I feel like Excalibur probably helped popularize that, but I can't imagine it was That's the... A, um, Peter, that is a... That is a pagan. Well, I like, was uh, I was about to say, I, <laughs> right? Well, I mean, that goes back to like the pharaohs in Egypt with Ptah. Like, it, it is an ancient, ancient, ancient oh. idea. But um, sorry, I could not. I I I could not let our <laughs> podcast <laughs> let let that one slide. Yeah, but like, I mean, when it comes to um, like it it, it goes back to the pharaohs, but then when it comes to England. I don't know how deeply embedded, like we were talking off air about the, the story of the Fisher King. And that has an idea of like, there's a wounded King and his wound is also wounding the land. So I guess this does go back quite a ways. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's a very pagan thing. Like if, if the land is blighted, like you sacrifice your ruler and by the blood of, your chieftain, the land is made whole. Like that's mm-hmm. a pretty ancient idea. Yeah. 
Um, but all of this is to say that I would really like to talk about the Green Knight now. <laughs> so, so, the, so the segue here is that we can read a lot of different things into these Arthurian stories, uh, including a modern psychological, uh, faithful in spirit, but also unfaithful in actual content in a way. Uh, modern adaptation that apparently got thoroughly re-edited during COVID, uh, and that is the. 2021 David Lowry film The Green Knight, starring Dev Patel, uh, also has Alicia Vikander, Joel Edgerton, uh, Sarita Chowdhury, Sean Harris, and Ralph Innocent as the titular Green Knight. And this is the point where I say, spoilers ahoy! Yes, um, big fat spoiler warning. Yeah, this movie just um, came out, so uh, here we go, from here till the end of the episode. Pa pa yes. pa pa. Um, but yeah, this very directly plays into why I think we still care about Arthur stories. Uh, is it uh, that it looks cool AF when directed by a cool director, given some cool money to do some cool stuff? So before we get to the actual discussion, I have to know, how do you think this movie ended? Oh, okay. So we saw this movie with a couple of friends. And when this movie ended, I loved the ending and Marin hated it to the point where at some point our friends, uh, Cora and Michelle, were like, Mom and dad, stop fighting. We have, <laughs> like, <laughs> we, we are done with this discussion. Um, I... I think he gets his head cut off. Really? I don't, but, like, but honestly, if you ask me that in five minutes, I'm gonna say, I, I think it ends, I, I think it ends straight, and he just gets a nick. Okay, so here's the thing. I... So, like, I read it, I absolutely do not think he dies at the end of this movie. Like, I, I don't think there's any way that he does. Okay. Um, I, saw, I also saw this movie with my husband. Um, I also really enjoyed it. Bill did not care for it. Bill mm. is convinced he dies at the end. Hmm. My feeling is that what you take away from this movie depends on how you think it ends, because whether or not Gawain gets his head cut off, I think changes the entire meaning of the movie. Yeah, Marin didn't like the ambiguity. Um, he never does. Like that doesn't for, surprise me. For, first off, yes, uh, and I knew you would say that. Uh, but second off, she like not only did she not like it from an artistic standpoint, but she she thought it totally undermined the entire legend. Like she was like, if yeah. if, if the movie had ended two seconds earlier, she would have liked it more. That is, that's also how Bill felt. Okay, In um, interesting. So my my feeling, so I, medieval literature is kind of where my, where I live. I just um, read I, Sir Gawain. I, I just finished it two days ago. Yeah, my biggest, my biggest problem with this movie is that, is how truncated it makes the game of exchange mm -hmm. um, at the Lord's house. Yeah, they only um, have like two, two days of, of kissing, not three days. They only have the one kiss. Oh, they only have the oh, oh, yeah, there we go. And frankly, according to the rules of that game, the Lord should have Got gotten a handy for uh -huh. Gawain. Uh huh. Um. So yeah, there are a lot of reasons that I'm I'm super bummed that that scene got cut short. Well, that, that's because we spent an hour and a half on the like wandering through the woods and seeing giants, which the poem does in like one stanza. So all of this is to say that for me, the poem, and I, I still think this is what the movie is about, but the poem is ultimately about what it means, like what equivalent exchange means. So hmm. it is about what it means to have, what it means to call something fair value. And at what point does being a knight transcend that idea of exchange? Because there's, there's this notion that you give what you get. But I also think, and I think that this is sort of a common theme amongst Arthurian stories in general, is that being a knight means that you give without getting. Mm -hmm. So this story has always been, for me, Gawain's lesson in you give what you get, but you also give when you don't get. Mm -hmm. um, I've never heard the analysis for this. Really? That's, that is, I don't know, that has always been so clear to me as one of the, like, underlying themes of the poem. Like, it's, it's, it's also very much about, like, 
chivalry and right. honor and Keeping what your that oath. all means. But like the whole thing is about fair trade. I I like that interpretation a lot. Like I'm 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 just I'm I'm mulling it over because I've never heard it before. So I'm sort of like reflecting on it. So when I watched this movie, what I the way that I saw the ending and the reason that I liked it so much is because Gawain learns what it would look like to not accept fair value for the game that he agreed to play. And then when he finally does, the Green Knight accepts his acceptance as fair value for the game that they have been playing. Hmm. So, like, Gawain has to come to a point where he has accepted the inevitability of his death and he does it without fear. So, like, I believe that in that moment he is ready to die. Yes, but I, like, after he has the vision, which I, I love that entire sequence of the vision. Um, I, I, so, I, yeah. I, 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 I also take it as read that, like, after he has that vision, that is his, like, okay. I am accepting my fate, whatever it might be. And so when, when the Green Knight chuckles, like, all right, off with your head. E even with that, it's like, e he's still going to accept it. Like, he's still going to not flinch, you know, and... and... Well, and that, so that's why, and also because I still viewed this movie in the context of the Arthurian canon and like mm -hmm. Gawain goes off to do other stuff. Sure. Right. So like, well, especially this is, <laughs> this is, a, this is a young Gawain, um, uh, I, this is not my take. This is another review I read, but like the green knight could refer to Gawain himself, who is a green knight, a uh, young, untested. The, did we both read the Vox? <laughs> I, I read a couple of reviews, including the Vox one. So yeah. Um, yeah so this, I, I read the ending as the green knight accepts Gawain's resignation, not resignation, his acceptance of like, this is the path that I have chosen based on the game that I agreed to play. Mm -hmm. And my initial instinct was to run away because I'm afraid of dying. I Natural reaction. Right. Don't, don't, I like, I can't pick my head up after you cut it off, so... I relinquish that fear. And in doing so, the Green Knight calls that fair value. Mm-hmm. Because I think it's this I think it's also about like how we get to decide. Like when when you are the one setting the rules, you get to decide what your fair value is. Mm -hmm. Like when um the the most clarifying scene for me in this movie is one that is not in the original poem. Is this the Saint when, Winifred sequence? Yeah. Which so I he, loved. He finds a house in the middle of the forest that is occupied by Saint Winifred, who in actual Saint Canon um, was assaulted by somebody that she refused to sleep with, um, and he cuts her head off. And in this sequence, she asks Gawain to retrieve her head from the spring uh, that it's been thrown into. And he says, if I do this for you, what will you give me? And she says, why would you ask me that? Mm -hmm. Like you, like, Which was I want you to get of, my head back, please. It's sort of... Um, on the nose, but also is just sometimes, sometimes we give without expectation of getting because it's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, also, the scene immediately after that where he's holding a skull and then it becomes her head and then it's a skull again was just, ugh, A-plus visual Listen, filmmaking. This movie was the best when it allowed itself to be as weird, weird as the Arthurian stuff yes. is. The, uh, the Antichrist talking is, fox, love it. It is the weakest when it pulls back from that weirdness. Like, I'm telling you, this movie should have had a 20-minute long interlude at the castle where Dev Patel and Joel Edgerton have to trade hand jobs because that is canonical <laughs> to the story. Make it gay, A twenty four. I mean, hey, they made it pretty gay. The the kiss um, at the end as as Dev Patel was running away, uh, that Joel Edgerton gave him was like. But it turns into more more of a gay ch chicken, which I wasn't sure. Give a fan of yeah um, yeah. Um. So. I themselves lean into that a little bit more sure but yeah like the stone giants no explanation don't need one Super it's cool. chill um talking also, foxes why not yeah well that i apparently i've been reading a lot about all of the stuff that i just straight missed because 
I don't know. I wasn't paying that much attention. Um, it's, but it's this a movie Gawain I'd love to see is, again. This Gawain, I'm going to buy it so I can watch mm-hmm, it over mm-hmm. and over again. Um, but this Gawain is Arthur's nephew, which makes his mother Morgan Le Fay. Well, that, that um, who I think is specifically, I don't know, she's credited as mother. Uh, Sarita Chowdhury is, I'd read enough reviews going in that people were like, his mother's Morgan Le Fay. But I guess she's credited as just mother. So, and I, as, a, as somebody who has read the original story, should have been more on top of that. Um, but then a lot of the like magic stuff later in the movie, I guess, is supposed to be of her genesis. Mm-hmm. Um, um, quick, quick sidebar, because I said we'd get into this. I've heard you now pronounce his name two different ways. And I, too, have pronounced it two <laughs> different ways. I the, the one true pronunciation for me is Gawain. OK, that's interesting, because I had like when when i was just looking at the book title years and years and years ago from the tolkien translation without having reading it i said gawain and so up until two years ago i did not know that that gawain was not the appropriate and universally agreed upon pronunciation but uh the the translation of the poem that i just read the translator himself says in the original poem to meet to make the meter and like the the rhyme scheme work the poet kind of goes back and forth and he and the translator also allowed himself to quote, have his cake and eat it too. And so in sure. some lines, Gawain is the pronunciation to make the, the rhyme scheme work. Uh, it, it's all alliteration. So it's mostly just the meter. Okay. Uh, and another's Gawain is the, the one to use. The point is it is not <laughs> Gerwin, which oh, I'm what? pretty sure. <laughs> oh, Joel yeah. Edgerton was saying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, our King Arthur. Yeah, oh, oh yeah, sorry. Uh, Sean Harris, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I heard was... that and I was like, mm, that's a choice. <laughs> I thought that was just like a northern way to pronounce, like, oh, hey, Garwin. <laughs> yeah. Apparently that was an actor choice and they just let him do it. <laughs> I mean, you got Sean Harris. He's wearing an Arthur crown. What, are you going to say no? Don't do that to him? <laughs> Those crowns, though. Oh. Oh, yeah, they're great. Yeah, best best on-screen crown I think I've ever seen. Um, I have read multiple interviews with David Lowry mm-hmm. about the ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, my feeling of which is, you wrote it, sir. I don't <laughs> want to hear... Have an I opinion. Don't hear, yes, I don't want to hear about your... Uh, let the let the the reader decide. Let the the viewer decide. I, I'm pretty sure after reading a after reading a couple interviews with him, I'm pretty sure that his intent is that Gawain actually loses his head. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I so thoroughly did not feel that in the movie that I watched that I'm just kind of like, okay, <laughs> you, you're wrong about your own movie. Um, so I I thought it was very but, interesting. I, I've been reading a lot that um, he completely re-edited this movie over COVID. Like, it was supposed to premiere at, uh, I think, South by Southwest in March 2020. And then that didn't happen. Um, and and he used the time to completely re-edit it. And I'm really curious to, like, I think it'd be interesting if he released, like, the OG cut. Uh, just to, like, get a sense of, like, how different they were. Because he he yeah. did he did everything for this like he wrote it he directed it he uh, edited it like he this was like his creation. I kind of don't want to though because if that is true then the movie that we got is the truest interpretation of his vision for this story. Right. And I I would rather just have that like Sit I kind of don't want to see like the rough draft one well, and I'm reading now it looks like he wasn't satisfied with that original cut so yeah so that's not the one he wanted us to watch yeah I I like I it'd be for me it would be a fun DVD extra an extra three hour movie yeah whatever <laughs> <laughs> it's this is like relatively short yeah it's, it's hours. not even 210 um, uh, it felt long. That I know. Also, I, it's it's very bad when I'm like, oh, it's only two hours ten minutes. That's short. Ninety minutes, people. Ninety minutes. 
All right. Well, anything else to talk? Well, like on the one hand, we could talk for another five hours about this because we both love it, uh, and it's so good. It's fresh in both of our minds. I would love to watch it again. Um, I would love, especially, to travel down to Illinois and watch it again um, because I had to drive home after this, so I couldn't watch it in in what might be in an optimal state uh, to view it in. Uh, but are you making veiled references to being high? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making Are you reference. Cut that out. <laughs> no, I. <laughs> it's legal in the state of I mean, Illinois. My accusation, not your reference. Right. No, no, no. <laughs> this is all staying in. It's it's legal in many states, including Illinois, just not this one uh, that I currently reside in. Yeah, it is. It is very much of the kind of midsummer, drugged out horror. Yeah. That A24 does oh so well. I really, I loved that ghost story interlude because I love it when movies sneak a little horror movie in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anything else you want to talk about on The Green Knight or any of these uh, homeworks before we wrap this up? Not really. This has been super fun. I liked this a lot. Agree. This was an awesome three series, uh, three, three episodes. Um I feel like we both got to watch a lot of new content uh, that was all telling stories that we were both like intimately familiar with and super into. Um, yeah. I, I will say my, my final thing, um, and this is mostly for you. Uh, have you read the third trade paperback of Once in Future? Not yet. Um, it includes The Green Knight. Because it just came out, right? It just came out. Yeah, I, I had yeah. pre-ordered it. <laughs> um, but yeah, includes The Green Knight. So when I got to that section, I'm like, woohoo, everything's coming up Green Knight. Brilliant. So. I just, I really appreciated Volume 2's detour into Beowulf. Into Beowulf, yeah. <laughs> for those of us who hadn't been listening to, or for those listeners who hadn't been listening to previous episodes, I'm referring to the graphic novel series Once in Future, uh, written by Kieran Gillen and uh, uh, illustrated by Dan Mora, uh, which is a fun, modern-ish take on the entire Arthur canon but also uh a stories as also just middle english like middle english literature yeah yeah and also old english right also it's a a stories coming alive and not being what you expect kind of thing really enjoyable i think we'd both recommend it highly uh with that being said that is all the time we have for this episode uh thank you so much for listening you can find us on any place your podcatcher is getting podcasts. Uh, please rate and review us. That's how the podcatcher gremlins know how, where to put us in baskets and give us to more people. Uh, I don't know how those work. Um, you can follow us on Twitter <laughs> at DYDYH podcast. Uh, and that we're also on Instagram at that same handle. That's at DYDYH podcast. You can find us on Facebook at Did You Do Your Homework? And you can email us at show at homeworkpodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Pico3000. That's P-I-K-O-3000. Uh, Martha, how about you? Uh, you can find me online at all the places at Magical Martha. Uh, you can also find the other show I do on alternating Wednesdays from this one on the same feed. It is a show called Love Ya, where Pete's wife Marin and I watch a rom-com or a teen movie and dissect it in depth. Uh, we did not have an episode last week because I had lost control of my life. But next week, we will be talking about the Netflix original Good on Paper. Hmm. Uh, was it bad in practice? Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, and uh, after that episode comes out, the following Wednesday will be our next episode. We're finally getting out of our, our Arthur times. Uh, so, Martha, what are we doing for our, our next episode? our next episode we are going to talk about altered reality and the ways in which fact can bleed into fiction mm -hmm. uh, i am finding the 10 episode podcast rabbits which is part of the uh, pacific northwest stories minnow beats whale uh family of podcasts they also do tanis and the black tapes and fairy if those names mean anything to people all right. Uh, and I'm assigning the 1997, apparently David Fincher movie, The Game. Uh, this is one of the three Fincher movies I've never seen, so I'm really interested in it. Uh, what are the other two? Um, Panic Room and Benjamin Button. Um, I will go. 
I will speak in favor of Panic Room. Hmm. Okay. I, I really liked it. Uh, that that is one that is like on my low key list, but I'm not like I have to just psych myself up to see it. Benjamin Button is one I want to see, but it's sure. so long that it's one of those like, well, it's Saturday night, the only night I could conceivably watch this movie. Is that what I want to watch tonight? Mm, we'll see. So far, the answer has been no, but <laughs> one of these days. That's where I'm at with it's. This doesn't matter. I, yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, well, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, Martha's going to leave you uh, totally in the dark about whatever she was about to mention. Uh, I was we'll talk about say, it out I was going to say that's how I've been feeling about Tenet. Oh. I keep looking at that and then thinking about other things I'd rather watch. <laughs> all right, there we go. Well, with that, with that nice uh, coda here, thank you all so much for listening. We'll talk to you in two weeks. And until then, class dismissed. All right. Uh, all right. Coming back into the actual content. Okay, take us out. We're getting <laughs> slap happy here.